Good morning to everybody. Woo, that's loud. Let's sing together, shall we? Would you stand and sing with us? Two and one, two, three, four, and... Sure, good to see all of you here this morning and welcome to worship service. We have just a few announcements. We will have our fellowship supper on Thursday, that's this Thursday, August the 26th at 6 p.m. in the fellowship hall. Also, the first delivery of the year for the backpack ministry is scheduled for September the 10th. If you would like to donate food for this ministry, please see the sign up sheet at the Welcome Center. There will be a women's retreat at Camp Capers on September the 16th and 17th. If you would like to attend, please contact Rebecca Sweet. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 4, verses 13 through 22. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. 
Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. The word of God for the people of God. God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we gather this morning to praise you and to give thanks. It is in you that we live and move and have our being. Open our hearts and understanding as your word is proclaimed today. Remind us often that you have placed us here at this time to proclaim your kingdom. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so as to guide us in truth and love. Give us courage and wisdom to renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness and reject the evil powers of this world. Teach us to walk, think, and act as Jesus did. It is in his name we pray. Amen. So I'll start our rainbows and rattlesnakes with the rainbow that it is to see all of you here on this beautiful, beautiful of penultimate Sunday of August, right? Ain't that what this is? And uh, it is a beautiful day. Praise the Lord. Uh, also, it's only a month till fall is here, right? So praise the Lord for that. That's a good thing. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we do thank you for all that you bless us with. We thank you for everything because you are good and you have good planned for us. Lord, we lift up those we've named and those we have left unnamed that need healing in their bodies, their minds, or their spirits. Lord, we lift up those anywhere who have recently lost loved ones. We ask that you would surround them with your love. Comfort them. Let them not be overcome with grief. Let them know that your love lasts always. Lord, we lift up those in war-torn areas of the world. We lift up those particularly in Afghanistan who need to get out of there. We lift up the folks in Haiti from the recent earthquake. We lift up all of those who are in the path of tropical storms as they, as they head north. We ask for protection for them. Lord, we lift up the leaders of this country and all the countries of the world that they would seek and do your will that your children would live in peace and harmony and enjoy the abundance that you have provided for all. 
Open our eyes and our ears and our understanding as your word is proclaimed this morning. Let it sink into us to the marrow that we might walk and talk as your son did in this generation. And now we pray as he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, I hope all of you got a handout. If you didn't, well, there are more. But I would, I would like to start a little bit differently this morning than we normally do. You know, try and keep it, you know, change it up a little bit. It, uh, again, it helps at least, you know, at least those that nod off don't nod off in the first five minutes, hopefully, if we keep things, of, if we keep things changed up a little bit, all right? So we're, we're, we're finishing up our short series on faith this morning. Not that we should, you know, we talk about faith all the time, but we have had a short series on faith, and next week we will start a series on a few of the prophets and some of the things about the prophets that we may or may not have talked about in the past. But in any case, I've, I've summarized here some of the things. This is not an exhaustive list by any means, nor is it meant to be. But it is meant to be a thought starter and hopefully an action starter in your lives. So what I'd like to do to start this, mor this morning out is I'd like for us just to, uh, in way of review and in way of preview, just read down this list together, okay? So if you would join me, this is kind of a, this is kind of a uh, responsive reading. Well, not responsive, it's a, it's, a, it's a group reading. People of faith believe in what cannot be touched or seen, have living, unshakable confidence in God's grace, have confidence to take action, carry out their work with excellence, have an active prayer life, Know that they are in the world and not of the world. Praise God for the good in their lives. Take the word into the world. Have a hunger for God's word like a hunger for food. Are joyful, are generous, are willing to take counsel. Speak up against evil. Will perish to do good. All righty. Well, Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, God who desires that none should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of your saving grace and your Son. 
May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our salvation. Amen. This morning, I want to talk a little bit about Esther and Mordecai, two other kind of unlikely heroes and a hero and a heroine of faith. Uh, so I'm going to I'm going to give you all a brief synopsis of the first three chapters of Esther, and then we'll read chapter 4, and then you all have to see how it ends when you go home. All right? you, can, uh, you can read the rest of the book. It's a short book. Now, Esther is actually in order here with what we're doing. Esther was an orphan, and she lived in uh, Persia, in the, in the capital city of Susa. And she had a cousin. His name was Mordecai. And Mordecai and Esther living in Susa. Remember last week when we talked about Ezra and Nehemiah, there were a good, good number of the, the folks that had been taken into captivity that went back to Jerusalem when the, the Persians allowed them to. Some of them, though, chose to stay in Persia. And among those were Mordecai and Esther. So again, this takes place, oh, approximately 70 years or so after the walls have been rebuilt in Jerusalem and a good number of people have gone back there. Mordecai, by the way, was... The scripture tells us a Benjamite, right? So he was from the tribe of Benjamin. Remember, the, the, southern, the southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, were the last to fall. Judah was the last to be taken into captivity. And this might not be an exactly accurate statement, but I think it's pretty, pretty close to right. It seems to me from the, from the biblical narrative that in general Judah always stuck to God's law a little bit better than Israel did the northern ten tribes and I think because of that Mordecai had a good foundation and he knew who he was he knew who he was he knew that he was from the tribe of Benjamin and he knew that God had chosen his people, the Hebrews, not just the Benjamites, but the Hebrews in general, to show God's love and grace and redemption to the entire world. Another famous Benjamite that we read a lot of, right, was Paul, right? Paul was a Benjamite as well. And again, what does Benjamin mean? Remember, Benjamin... You know, I guess it's a, it's a, it's a toss-up. Joseph was Jacob's favorite son, of course, until his brothers sold him into slavery and, Joseph thought he, and, and Jacob thought he was dead. And then, of course, Benjamin was Jacob's favorite son. And both Joseph and Benjamin were Rachel's children, right? Rachel's children, Jacob's favorite wife, as, as it goes. And Benjamin means what? Son of my right hand. That's what it means. Okay? Again, 
names in the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, mean something and they tell us something. And we know that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, so we most biblical scholars believe that the, the king of Persia at this time was Xerxes I. So we start out in chapter 1 of Esther, and Xerxes I throws a fiesta to end all fiestas, right? He throws this thing to celebrate his glory and the glory of Persia. Persia at this time, Xerxes I ruled the, the territory between India and Ethiopia. Pretty good, pretty good chunk of real estate, right? Uh, at, at that particular time. So he threw this 180-day bash to celebrate that, right? And that's pretty close to six months, isn't it? 180-day bash. And then at the end of the 180 days, he added another week where they were really partying hardy, okay? So King Xerxes gets drunk, and he asked his wife, Vashti, to come in because he wants to show everybody what a good-looking wife he's got, right? And she snubbed him and said, no, I'm, I'm not going to let you put me on display like that. So she said, okay, you're not the queen anymore. Get out of here, right? So he gathers up bunches of young girls that are prospective consorts for him and puts them in his harem. Well, one of these is a Jewish girl named Esther, Mordecai's cousin. And I could talk about this a long time, but I probably shouldn't, right? Esther is the most beautiful, and she ends up, uh, Xerxes is taken with her beauty. He marries her. She becomes the queen, he doesn't know anything about her background, okay? People of faith are willing to take counsel from others. Mordecai told her, don't let anybody know about your heritage at this point. Keep it to yourself. Keep it to yourself. And she did. Well, Mordecai, hanging around the, the court there, the, the royal court there in Susa, one day hears a couple of the king's guards plotting to kill the king. They're going to kill the king. So Mordecai tells Esther about this plot to kill the king, and Esther tells the king, my cousin Mordecai told me that these two guys were going to kill you. So, Mordecai's name is entered into the chronicles of the history of Persia as someone who saved the king. Now, here comes the guy in the black hat. His name is Haman, right? Haman is an Agagite, it says. Now, what's an Agagite? Yeah. An Agagite is another, it's a type of Canaanite is who he is. And y'all remember back there in 1 Samuel chapter 15 that 
this is what got Saul in trouble. I remember that. It was one of the best exchanges in the Bible as far as I'm concerned because the Lord told Saul, he said, you need to go up against the Amalekites and you need to wipe them out. Don't leave anything. Don't, you know, kill the sheep, kill the cattle, kill the dogs, kill everybody and everything that has to do with them. And then after the battle, when Israel was successful in defeating the Amalekites, Samuel comes up to, uh, did I say first? It's First Samuel chapter 15. Samuel comes up to Saul, and Saul says, hey, Samuel, how's it going, buddy? You know, I'm a great guy. I did everything God told me to do. And Samuel hears the sheep and the oxen. And he says, what's this bleeding of the sheep I hear? And Saul says, well, you know, I had a better plan than God's. Loosely translated, he says, I decided to save the best lambs and the best oxen. And you know what? I didn't kill old King Agag either, right? An Agagite of Haman. So, it all ties together. It all ties together. God instructed the king of Israel to take care of this riffraff because they would be no good for the people of Israel. They had always been a problem. You know, the original sin of the Amalekites, y'all know this. We've talked about this before. They didn't show hospitality to the Israelites. They didn't show hospitality. Wow. Anyway, Samuel finishes off Agag, takes care of Saul's light work, so to speak, and Samuel never sees Saul again. He says, God's rejected you because you rejected him, and, uh, and goes on his merry way. So Haman, here in the court of Susa, presumably another, you know, the, the Canaanites were taken over by the Persians as well. I mean, so was everybody, like I said, between India and Ethiopia, or as the Bible says, Cush, right? Cush is the Bible name for Ethiopia. And Haman gets, uh, gets elevated to a high position in the government there. And the king has everybody bow down to Haman when he walks by, right? Well, he walks by Mordecai one day, and Mordecai basically says, Hi, Haman, how's it going? And he doesn't bow down. Well, Haman gets upset, you know. Who is this guy not to bow down to me? And, uh, and he realizes that Mordecai is a Jew. So he gets the king to make a decree that all the Jews should be killed. Now, here you go. Here's your vocabulary word for the day, okay? Purr. It's not a noise your cat makes, okay? P-U-R, purr. It's the Hebrew word for dice, right? You know, like when you play craps in Vegas, right? It's the Hebrew word for dice. And what Haman did was... They threw the dice, they threw the purr to decide which day it was going to be that this 
decree of the king took place when they were going to wipe out all the Jews. And the pur fell on the 13th of Adar, okay, which was, as it turns out, 11 months after they decided this. Now, Esther became queen in the seventh year of the king. The decree to wipe out all the Jews happened in the 12th year of the king. And that's where we start today. Oh, and one other, uh, one other fun fact. The word God never appears in the book of Esther. There's, there's the, the word God is not in there at all. Consider the word of the Lord. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went through the city wailing with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. In every province, wherever the king commanded and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and most of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's maids and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed, and she sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathach, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what was happening and why. Hathach went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther, explain it to her, and charge her to go to the king to make supplication to him and entreat him for her people. Hathach went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathach and gave him a message for Mordecai, saying, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law. All alike are to be put to death. Only if the king holds out the golden scepter to someone, may that person live. I myself have not been called to come into the king for 30 days. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter. But you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for such a time as this. 
Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and neither eat nor drink for three days. Night or day, I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. The word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. So, as I said earlier, here we have again an example, another example of what people of faith do. They take counsel. Now remember, all of this is pointless if we don't tie Jesus into it. Because Jesus is God's plan for redemption for his creation. For his creation. You, you know, you might think I'm taking a stretch when I say Jesus took counsel, right? But he did. Hear me out. Or I, I believe he did. I believe he did. He took counsel with his Father and with the Holy Spirit, right? The Trinity is a sweet community. And, you know, we, I mean, we see it right off in Mark's gospel. In, in Mark chapter 1, I think down around verse 35, it says, Early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus went off to a lone place to pray, right? To pray. He was taking counsel. He was taking counsel. In a multitude of counselors, there is safety, right? Without counsel, plans go awry, but with counsel, they work out. Jim's translation of Proverbs 15, 22 so people of faith take counsel. People of faith speak up when they need to speak up. If there's anything where I, again, this is Jim's interpretation, Jim's feeling. If there's any place where the contemporary church fails, it's by remaining silent. It's by remaining silent. And I will, uh, I will take this opportunity, since I have it, to remind all of you, all of you who are baptized or confirmed, when you became such, you said, or, or you were asked, do you accept the freedom and power? The freedom and power. God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. I do. So Mordecai said, you know, Esther, you can keep your mouth shut if you want to, but you're going to croak too, just with, along with the rest of them, right? They're not going to make you any special privileges once they find out you are Jewish. We need to speak up. Just like Jesus spoke up when the woman was caught in adultery, right? And they were going to stone her, right? He said, if any of you is without sin, you can, throw, you can chunk the first rock, right? You can chunk the first rock. We need to speak up when we see evil and injustice in our world, period. We don't need to stand there like a bump on a log and be silent, okay? The time is now. 
today is the day of salvation. You know, we need to speak up. We need to speak up. And then, look at this. Look at this. Esther says what? If I perish, I perish. See, the, the, the horns of the dilemma, so to speak, were the king had given this decree. The king had given this decree, and we all know from talking about Daniel, right? When the Persian king says something, you can't take out the eraser or the correction tape and wipe it out. It's going to be. It's going to be. And one of those things that was going to be was if you're not invited in to see the king, they'll treat you like the Taliban does, right? She said, okay, if I perish, I perish. Now, what did Jesus say? You know, when he took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, the gates of hell, when he took his disciples there and he said, what? He says, the Son of Man's got to go to Jerusalem and he's going to be handed over to the scribes and the Pharisees and they're going to kill him. They're going to kill him, okay? Friends, again, if Jesus' life and death taught us anything, it's that death is not to be feared. It's going to happen. It's okay. And God is bigger than death. And Jesus is bigger than death. So, we're about out of time. I'll close with this. I told you your vocabulary word. I told you your vocabulary word for the day was per. P-U-R, right? So read the rest of the book and you'll see what happens. But this is where we get Purim, right? The, the Jewish holiday, a two-day holiday that takes place on the 14th and 15th of Adar, the, the two days following the day that they were all supposed to be destroyed, recounting this. And it comes from the word dice because Haman chunked the dice to see when he was going to kill all the Jews. So even though the word God never appears in this particular book of the Bible, remember this, remember this, regardless of what things look like, God always keeps a remnant. God always protects a remnant. And God has a plan to redeem his world. And he wants us to speak up about it. Amen? Now go in peace. And as you go, go with the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Amen.